Last time I preached from this pulpit, the pews were empty. Certainly feels a lot more comfortable to me. So we greet you this morning in the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. That's my sermon this morning. Title of my meditation is Paid in Full. If you remember last Sunday, my thoughts at the opening of the service and the conclusion of Sunday school, I was challenged with those words of Jesus, it is finished. So I meditated on those thoughts of it is finished. And I guess I was thinking back to my brother-in-law, Dale Martin, who passed away here in February, and uh, some of the conversation that was related as, you know, and I've, I've been thinking about this for some time, you know, what would it be like to come to the last day of your life, and you know it's the last day of your life, and as his family was gathered, gathered around there, his children and uh, his wife, and uh, some of the conversation in my own words that ensued was that he said he has done He's done what he's supposed to do. And uh, he felt like it was, he didn't say it was finished, but it, it was in reality, it was finished. His life here on this earth was done and over. And uh, they had chosen not to uh, use the uh, respirator. The doctors had said we could sedate him and, and put, the, put him on the respirator, but they said the chances of him coming back out are very, very slim and probably wouldn't. And uh, so they had chosen not to. Uh, so as they were pulling the oxygen off and... Uh, you know, it, uh, you know, they, they had a good time there as a family. They talked, they visited, shared last thoughts, and, you know, they knew it was gonna be, it was the end. It was finished. It was done. And, uh, as I thought about our Lord's testimony there on the cross and saying it is finished, and as I looked at that saying, the, it's, it's actually a Greek term that is an accounting term that says paid in full. And that's where I get my, uh, um, title for my meditation this morning because Christ had had accomplished, he had paid the ransom for the sins of the whole world by sacrificing his life, shedding his blood on Calvary and uh, paying the debt, not just only of me Warren Nolan, the amount of $73 billion or 73,000 days of service. Now that, our debt is unpayable our debt is, and I don't know how else to depict it but if you want to translate that, that would be if, if I lived to be a 200 years and earned a billion dollars a year, and you want to check the math, you can, uh, that's what it would accumulate to, or 73,000 days of service. So as a slave to sin and self, or as a slave, I was indebted. And if, if I would live to be 200 years, which won't happen by law of averages, have you ever heard anybody lately that lived to 200 years? We get to 100, we'd say, wow, that's terrific. But so I'm, I'm doing that to depict that it's unpayable. I, I could not accomplish that, regardless how how much effort I put into it. And uh, so John 19 verse 30, he says the words of Jesus. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, "It is finished," and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. My message has two parts. The first part I want to ask myself in a question and you this morning. Do I understand the debt that I owe? And then secondly, do I understand the cost of that, what it costs? And then thirdly, I want to consider our response to that stamp on my bill of debt that it is paid in full.
Turn to uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and give his life for a ransom for many. He gave his life for a ransom for many. And those words are uh, repeated also in Matthew's account, verse Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. So if you think of a ransom, it's a Greek word used most commonly for the price that was paid to redeem a slave. And uh, we, of course, today do not maybe understand that in its fullest, the price that was paid to redeem a slave. We, spiritually, are slaves to sin and self. I and all mankind are in bondage in slavery. Uh, From the youngest baby being held in the arms or on the laps this morning to the oldest of us, we have a debt. Do we know that we have that debt? Now we realize younger children don't realize that debt and aren't accountable for that debt at this point. But there comes a time in their lives when they have to reckon with that that debt that they owe and need to look for that stamp paid in full from the Lord Jesus Christ on that bill of debt that we owe. I also thought of the verses that I think these verses were mentioned. Maybe uh, maybe Dennis mentioned them, mentioned them uh, Friday evening perhaps. I'm not sure. Uh, in John 8, verses, two verses there, verses 33 and uh, 34, I thought of it in relation to Jesus as he was speaking to the Jews particularly, the people, his people, people that he particularly uh, came to minister to, and then it branched out to you and I as Gentiles. But John 8, verse 33, And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know, as I looked at those verses and the very blatant disregard of their, first of all, their current bondage to the Romans, and then their forgetfulness of their history. They're going back to Abraham. They say, we be Abrahams, but they forgot all that history in between the times that they were in bondage to, to in Egypt, for sure. And they forgot about uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, they forgot about all the other times that they were in bondage to to the times that they had rejected God's leading in their lives. And they say they made they were blatant enough to say we were never in bondage to any man. How how could they be so forgetful? But you know how forgetful am I sometimes to realize the bondage that I was in? Thank you. <clears throat> As I. I lost here. Just I was thinking of the uh, the hymn 343 in our signs praises Jesus paid it all. I hear the Savior say, "Thy strength indeed is small." Again, our inability to pay that debt, our strength, regardless of our makeup, we are in in. It's impossible to pay that debt. Watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. 
Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before thy throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So when I get to the throne of God, Jesus will pull out this debt and it will be stamped, paid in full. That's just my imagination. Whether that actually transpires, I don't know. But uh, something similar will take place and we know that Jesus has paid it all. So I was thinking about the ransom that was paid for typically the price of a slave. I uh, I did a little bit of research to see and, and there was an incident that took place in Savannah, Georgia. Kind of the slave auction hub of America at its day. And uh, at that time, I don't remember what the date of the year, what the year was exactly, but there was a, it said that the going price was probably for a good, strong, healthy male was around $2,000. And the highest price that they recorded ever paid was, I think, 6000 for a, a family of slaves. And I don't think it was four or five children included in that auction. But as I was reading, I came across uh, another incident that I found rather fascinating. James Buchanan uh, was the 15th president of the United States of America. And he's the only president that was from the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, I think actually from the city of Lancaster, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't verify that, but I, I think that's true. And uh, that was in 1834. He was actually just running for the Senate at the time. And slavery, of course, was a hot-button issue. And uh, a little like some of the other issues we've encountered here in the last election. And uh, he realized that as he was running that his sister living in Virginia, his sister and brother-in-law, actually owned some slaves. It was a mother and a daughter. And uh, so rather than have this thing blow up in his face, he went down to his sister and brother-in-law and brought, purchased the freedom of those that mother and daughter. I think their names were uh, uh, Daphne and uh, Anne, I believe was the little girl's name. She was like five years old and the mother was 20-some years, if I remember correctly. And uh, so he purchased them and uh, brought them home. Now, now, James was a bachelor. He was the only bachelor that actually was elected president and uh, so he had a, a housekeeper that I think served as the uh, later as the first lady then but uh, he gave these two uh, this mother and daughter as as servants household servants to his housekeeper and they served they were indentured slaves and at that point they uh, I think the mother had to uh, serve for uh, 22 no seven years and uh the daughter, I think, had to serve for 23 years, perhaps, uh, till they actually were free to go and do what they wanted to do. And I don't know, I didn't follow up on the uh, the, the ending of that. But uh, he later then was elected president, uh, James Buchanan was. And it was uh, a very, very controversial time because of the slave issue. And uh, he, had, he tried to walk kind of a middle ground, uh, as the articles I read, and it, it, it didn't... Uh, you know, it, you kind of got to decide where you're at on it. And uh, sometimes walking a middle ground isn't, uh, doesn't work bode well for the person that's doing it. And, uh, so his, his presidency actually does not, it's, it's, he's, he's among one of the most, uh, least favorite presidents, uh, simply because he was not decisive like maybe Abraham Lincoln be that right or wrong. Uh, but, uh, 
So thinking about ransom, you think of the, here was a man, like you and I, and he was willing to go and pay a ransom to, to free those slaves. Now he had ulterior motives. He had political motives that he was buying those slaves' freedoms. His adopted sons said there were others that are not recorded that he purchased their freedom too. And, uh, I don't know if that's documented or not, but he made that statement. He said that there in, in his, uh, biography. So I thought about, you know, what was those mother and daughter or any of the other slaves that he purchased their freedom? What was their response to him? And I thought of the song, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I will seek to honor his commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I have heard how Christians long ago were bought before Tarrant's throne, and they were told that he would spare their lives if they would renounce the name of Christ. But one by one they chose to die. The Son of God they would not deny. Like a great angelic choir sings, I can almost hear their voices ring. Now the years have come, and the years have gone. But the cause of Jesus still goes on. And now our time has come to count the cost, to reject the world, to embrace the cross, and one by one, let us live our lives. For the one who died to give us life, Till the trumpet sounds on the final day, let us humbly stand and boldly say, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. To the Lamb of God who bore my pain, who took my place, who wore my, who wore my shame. I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Very challenging words of the songwriter there. I don't know if the thought has ever entered your mind, you know, what does it cost to keep, for God to keep you alive in one day? Has that thought ever entered your mind? What does it cost God to keep you alive for one day? You think of your environment, you think of the air, you think of water, you think of food, you think of shelter, you maybe think of safety. You know, there was an incident happened, and I have not told this incident to anybody, a couple of weeks back. I was uh, heading over to Pine Island, I believe, and I had uh, Delvin's pickup, Ford uh, F-350, and I was heading east from our place on County 16. And County 16 is not the nicest road around. It, it's okay. It is hard. It's blacktop. But uh, they tried to, it was always kind of nigher. It was an arrow road, and they tried to widen it. So widening it a little bit, they they took away some of the berm of the road. So it's there's not a lot of berm. There's not a lot of shore. And uh, some places along the road, there's a pretty sharp drop-off from the blacktop. And uh, as I was heading east into the little town of Wasioja there, I was uh, there's two S-turns, a little like the S-turns out here, probably a little more sharp. And uh, I was coming into the first corner, and I... I was just riding along, and I don't know what I was thinking about. But as I was coming into the second turn, I was a, another vehicle coming out of that turn, and as I came into the further end of the turn, here was a semi coming toward me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like I said, the road is somewhat narrow, so I, it looked like he was really rolling along. Now, the speed limit through Osseoja is 40, 40 miles per hour, which I don't know if anybody drives that or not, but it looked like he was clipping along quite a bit faster than that. It was 
there's a fair amount of grain truck traffic on that road, but this was a van trailer and it looked big and, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, proce- I'm processing all these thoughts in, in a milliseconds. And, uh, for some reason, I don't know why, I just, I just, it just, I just felt like there's something gonna happen. <laughs> and, uh, as I came, as I was approaching him, I just kind of started hitting the brakes. I thought, wow, I hope he knows what he's doing. And about just in that next millisecond, his front right steering wheel dropped off that shoulder on the road. And you know what that's a re- that's a recipe for? I thought, oh, I hope he keeps it off there. So then I'm, I'm breaking, and I, I've, I'd have been dead in line, I think, but he, he pulled it back on. And oftentimes what happens, you know what happens? They overcorrect, and it's a head-on collision. I didn't see the angels, but I, I, I could feel the angels. I think they were there. <laughs> he pulled it back on. He sat by me and went by like the, it was just another day behind the wheel, I guess, Gary. <laughs> or Micah. Uh I was like, whew. I, you know, I, I just felt like it was, you know, the angels were probably, you know how big the stone was that they rolled away from the tomb? It says only one angel, I think, but Sammy, if he was loaded, well, that's, what, 25 ton probably? So I don't know how many angels were there, you know, keeping that guy on his side of the road, but we got past each other. And, uh, so, you know, just think about that. How many, how many, what does it cost God to keep you alive? You know, we take it for granted. At least I do many times. And, uh, you know, it's it's challenging to think about that. You know, what what all does God have invested in you, in in me? And then He's willing to stamp it, in spite of all our our failures, in spite of all our shortcomings, paid in full. You know, I can see me. I'd say, well, now wait a minute. Let's have a little trial time here. Let's wait. But you know, He did it right up front there. That you commit your lives to me, you surrender your life to me. You can have that stamp. There it is. You know, our, our physical bodies are amazing. And I, like I said, I, I, I uh, it, it's amazing. Our, you know, our, our, our brains, the way they work and, uh, and sometimes the way they don't work is just about as amazing too. But, uh, you know, Dwight used the term last Sunday that, that stuck with me. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm quoting it correctly, but, uh, I, I do like little, I like challenges. And I think he used the word metrics of thought process or metrics of thinking, something that, and I, I'm thinking about that metrics, and I, I've heard it before, and I it just uh, it challenged me the metrics of thinking, and I so I pulled my uh, desk version of Webster's dictionary off, and it, you know looked at, looked up metrics. Okay, what, what's he exactly? What's he getting at here? Is there something I'm missing? <laughs> and uh, uh, so sermons don't end on Sunday morning, at least it shouldn't. Uh, well, my Webster's desk dictionary was not really real helpful. And uh, so when that doesn't work, I go to my unabridged version of Webster's, which is, you know, yay big. And, and then it had a whole different category of metrics and the, the idea of metrics. And uh, actually even had, it's at the metrics of romance. So I don't know if you're experiencing the metric of romance this morning. But uh, I'm not sure what all that entails. Uh, i let your imagination run on that one. Well, do I understand that I owe a debt that I cannot pay? And uh, Jesus did that for me this morning. He did that for the people of the whole world, from the youngest to the oldest, and everybody that has walked the face of this, this earth. Secondly, do I understand what it cost? <clears throat> Turning to Matthew chapter 28, verse 6. <clears throat> 
Matthew 28, verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, compare that statement there that was delivered uh, by the angels to uh, to Mary Magdalene here. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, drop down in that chapter to verses 11 through 15. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Talk about conspiracy theories. Right here we have it in Bible. We hear a lot about that today, conspiracy theories, and here's one right here. A failure to reckon with the absolute truth, and uh, the truth that he had risen from the the grave. That stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, and they come up with uh, a fabricated conspiracy story to uh, uh, ease their conscience and to save their face, only to lose their lives. 1 Peter chapter 1 as we think about what does it cost, what did it cost for our stamp of paid in full, First Peter chapter 1, several verses there, verses 17. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers. But now notice particularly verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was ver- who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. We are redeemed not by silver and gold or anything that's corruptible, but simply by the precious blood of Jesus Christ this morning. We can experience that stamp of approval Paid in full. It's the only thing, the only thing. If you would have lived 200 years, and again, I, I hesitated to even put that on because that's, that's not possible. Even if I would have got to be 200 years and earned $73 million or billion dollars, whatever. It's, it's impossible. We cannot buy our salvation. It's only by accepting that gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Turning to Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 17 through 23. Ephesians 1, 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. That's what you and I can experience this morning as we embrace redemption on Calvary. He has raised us from the dead, if you look down to verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. That's what happened. That debt was paid in full when he raised up Jesus from the dead, and we can rejoice in that this morning. We belong to God, first of all, by right of creation. And uh, you know, you stop about, you stop and think about our sustainability or our 
you know, what it costs God to keep us alive. Sure, we have the seats and we're frugal farmers and we're frugal production people. We earn money, we buy food and, and we build houses and shelters to live in and keep ourselves, buy fuel and uh, LP to keep ourselves warm. But, you know, in reality, it all goes back to what, what God has given to us on this terrestrial ball called the earth. The resources that we have here. It all goes back to that in one form or another. So we belong to God, first of all, by right of creation. And then secondly, by right of redemption, we belong to God. He has purchased our salvation. I'd like to just read a few more verses in Romans and Hebrews. Romans chapter 3. Familiar verses, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. It's our faith in what transpired that Easter morning, that redemption, that shedding of His blood on Calvary. It's our faith in that that actually secures that stamp on our bill of debt. God will do that for us. And then back to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, two verses. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses uh, 11 and 12. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It's eternal redemption. It doesn't expire. It lasts forever throughout eternity. Thirdly, what should our response be to that? Turning back to Romans chapter 12, just a few pages back, I think is a good response to, should be our response to uh, having our bill of debt stamped paid in full. I'm going to just, I'm going to read in the entire chapter of Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to, as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ." and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, 
rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints and given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Very powerful message of truth that is written there to the Romans. Just going back over that chapter, a couple of things I'd like to pick out. Look at Romans chapter, look at verse 1 particularly. It says, uh, I beseech you. In other words, Paul is saying, I urge you this morning. I urge you this morning to make the decision for Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul couldn't do it for the Romans. They had to decide that on their, on their own, their own self. Each one of us here has an individual will that needs to be surrendered on that altar. Paul couldn't drag the Romans. Well, he could have maybe. He could have drug them over, but Paul wasn't a very big man according to what we read about him. So he probably couldn't have even drug them over and put them on the altar if he would have wanted to do that. But he's besieging. He's, he's saying, I urge you to, to get on that altar. Be on that altar of God. Surrender your lives a living sacrifice. We can urge, we can encourage, we can point, we can live by example, but it still comes down to an individual decision to decide whether you want to place yourself on that altar of God or not. As I think of the word present, present your bodies a living sacrifice, you know, it means willingly bring to the altar. Um, you know, if I'm going to do it grudgingly, if I'm going to do it with reservations, it's not going to accomplish what it ought to. I need to do it, I need to present it willingly. I need to do it without any reservations. He mentions the idea of God's mercies there in verse 1 too. Uh, as I thought about God's mercies, you know, without God's mercies, where would we be? God's mercies are new every morning. And uh, we certainly, it's only on the basis of God's mercies that we can present ourselves to him. The idea of reasonable, um, God is a reasonable God. Um, he deserves our obedient service. He deserves our worship. Uh, it's only reasonable that we worship God this morning. As you think of what he has invested in you personally this morning. Think about that for a while. You know, that's one of the things that I, I'm challenged with, and especially as the incident on, on Connie 16. You know, God awareness, even in just the small things in life. You know, that's something that I think... We need to cultivate and uh, being aware of God working in the small details of our lives. The second verse talks about, he says, be not conformed to this world. You know, confirmation takes forth, takes place from the outside in. And then he brings the idea, he says, but rather, he says, be transformed. That's something that takes place from the inside out. It's a transformation. He says, we need to be transformed by the Renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. When we have that experience of surrender on the altar, it's not about self and me, but it's about God's will. 
And how well do I know God's will this morning for my life? How well do you know God's will for your life this morning? It tells us that God's will is perfect. My will is not perfect. It's tarnished with selfishness. It's tarnished with all kinds of other alternative alternative, uh, motives. James Buchanan, maybe there's an example, the illustration I used. You know, his, his motivation to free those, that mother and daughter and slaves and pay their, their ransom, stamped in full probably by his brother, sister and brother-in-law, the ransom price that was paid. But there was ulterior motives there. It was their political motives. But God's will is perfect. We have that confident. We have that here, right in the word of God, the perfect will of God. Looking at verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me, anything I have is from God. Of grace it was given us. God's grace is giving us that which we don't deserve. We don't deserve God's grace. But God, in his grace, extends it, forgiveness to us. And it's by God's grace. Uh, faith is measured to me by God. Humility and pride. Humility needs to overtake the pride that's naturally within my own life. Humility needs to destroy that. needs to take it away. Looking at the uh, verses 4 through 13 described then, only then, after we've laid ourselves on the altar, only then are we qualified to become a part of the body, the greater body of Jesus Christ. That's when, you know, at least the way I've experienced it, you know, that's when problems come. When we have not surrendered ourselves on the altar of God, and that's when the body, the the, the uh, assimilation into the body of Christ, that's when problems develop because we have not fully surrendered. But when we have Jesus as the head of our lives, in our lives, possessing, affecting our thinking, our thought process, the metrics of our thought, okay, uh, you know, that's when we are qualified to be a part of the body of believers, part of the body of Christ. Christ is ahead. You and I in Christ. Okay, I lost my identity. When I laid myself on the altar, I no longer am Warren Nolt anymore. It's paid in full. I belong to him. You belong to him if you made that commitment this morning. He mentions verses 6 through 8, different gifts. You know, are we graceful shares of the gifts that God has given to us? Or do we like to flaunt ourselves a bit? Are we graceful shares of the gifts that God has given to us? Are we liberal shares of the gifts that God has given to us? Some of the questions I ask myself. Verses 9 through 21, we see the measure of love. Looking at verse 9, we see uh, it talks about dissimulation, let love be without dissimulation. In other words, it's saying, I believe that that love needs to be sincere. It needs to be pure. It needs to be genuine. Uh, it's not just a surf- surface, superficial type love, but it's something that goes the whole th- whole way through, regardless of the thick and the thin, regardless of the mud, regardless of whatever we encounter. That love is going to endure. God's love through our lives, as we relate to each other as brotherhood and sisters in the Lord. That love will endure. It's sincere. Let it be without dissimulation. It's the real thing. We serve the Lord, verse 11, verse 11, it clearly tells us, not slothful in beard, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Then it says serving the Lord. We serve others 
We serve God by serving others. Clearly, it's telling us that. You're waiting to serve the Lord. Your opportunity is right here this morning. Your opportunity is next door to you. You want to serve the Lord? Take that opportunity. And may God open our eyes to the opportunities that are there. You know, verse 12 talks about uh, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Those are two twins that I like to think about. Patience and prayer. That's what it takes. We pray to God and we, we pray to Him. We pray daily, perhaps multiple times a day. But you know, we continue to pray and it takes patience sometimes to wait until God answers those prayers. And He many times answers them in a different way than what we're praying. And God has to change us, change our prayer. God, you had something better in mind. We didn't understand it, but you did. Verse 16, there's no room for prejudice. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. No room for prejudice in the family of God. No room for prejudice in God's program. He's a redeemer of all. You know, in verse 21, it says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. With God, we're on the winning side. And that's, I hope, what you'll choose each day. Daily, we need to make that choice to lay ourselves on the altar. So this morning, I repeat, he is not here, but he is risen, as he said. And he's coming back again, as he said. May that be real to us today.